are so thankful, God, for your word and for your Holy Spirit that makes application, God. We're, we're here today, uh, this morning, with anticipation of meeting with you, Lord, hearing from heaven. Uh, there's no other reason to be here, God, except for uh, eternal ones, Lord, that, that we're an eternal family and we have an eternal God that loves us more than we can fathom that wants to talk to us today, that wants to talk to us this morning. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd give us ears to hear uh, what you'd have to tell us, Lord. Uh, You know our background, you know our week, our month, our year, what we're going through, and you know exactly uh, what to tell us. Uh, So I just pray you'd help us to be sensitive to you, Lord, uh, and yielding, God, to your spirit. We love you so much, Lord, and, and thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So 1 Samuel chapter 29, chapter 28, we looked at it last week. Uh, It it says, in those days, in that day, it was the day where where uh, Achish and the Philistines are amassing their army. He thinks the pendulum's swinging in his favor. He has David on his side, and now they're going to make war with Israel. It's at the same time in those days that Samuel had died. He's gone. He's dead. This spiritual leader, this uh, head of Israel who people would go to for encouragement, for wisdom, that guy's off the scene. And maybe you have one of those people in your life that's not there anymore. This was one of the guys for David and Saul. And Saul, this, this guy is in full-blown rebellion. He's, he's afraid of this army the Philistines are gathering together to make war. He's not hearing from the Lord. So he goes and seeks a witch and asks her to, to perform a seance for him. And she goes and she tries to talk to this familiar spirit, this demon that she normally talks to. And here comes Samuel to give Saul the same message he had been giving him all the time. Listen, your time's up. Saul, your time's up. You need to repent. But he doesn't. He leaves that chapter, uh, and, and, and we see that he amasses his army. And we're going to look at now the, the, the table shift, and we're going to be looking at David, our hero. He's in the middle of a backslide. He told himself in his heart, his emotions, that one day he's going to perish at the hand of Saul, and that he, there, there's nothing better for him to do. There's nothing more he can do except flee to the land of the Philistines. What a lie, right? The devil wants to lie to you and I every chance he gets. He wants to push you back, push you back, push me back. And the devil begins to lie to David, and he runs to Philistine country. It says this in Psalm 139. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you. David would say this in verse 7. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. Then he also says this, If I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the outermost outermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. David understood something on the other side of this backslide. Distanced from God, distanced from the people of God, that God's right there holding him, leading him, drawing him back, right? That's what God does. We make mistakes, we fall, we fail, and God is trying to draw us back with his cords of love. He warns us. 
he warns us. And David would write that. So he's at the end, nearing the end of his 16-month stay in Philistine country where, where uh, the armies of the Philistines think David's the best. He's the best soldier. He's on our side. It says this in verse 1. So the Philistines gathered together their armies at Aphek, and the Israelites encamped by a fountain, which is by Jezreel. So they're amassing their armies. Saul is amassing his army. Instead of repenting, he's going out to fight. Even though he was warned, listen, you're going to die tomorrow. Samuel came back and said, listen, tomorrow's your day. And instead of repenting, he goes out into battle. And it says this in verse 2. This is amazing. It says, the lords of the Philistines passed by in review by hundreds and by thousands, but David and his men passed by in review at the rear with Achish. Crazy. This is a military parade. And all the men pass by. They pass by. They pass by. And all of a sudden, at the end of this parade, there's David with his 600 men. They show up. like They stick out like a sore thumb to the people. We were in, in Russia in 2015, and it was the 70-year anniversary of the end of World War II, and I remember we went to a parade, and going to the parade, Pasha said, Harley, don't talk. Try not to talk very much, because they didn't sell alcohol today anywhere in Russia. Everything was closed, but yesterday they sold twice as much, and they're very patriotic there, and they don't necessarily like Americans there. So I tried to blend in as best I could. I probably stuck out like a sore thumb, but I'm watching this amazing parade go by. In fact, in Moscow, they grabbed, there's tons of wild dogs, and, and they grabbed them, and, and they actually killed them. Uh, and, and in and Vladimir, too, uh, they just cleared out the city and made it this beautiful spectacle to have this parade. And there were just soldiers and tanks and airplanes flying over. It was pretty cool. Uh, going and that's the that's the scene these people that are about it it was to build their morale and and they're, they're they have this parade but at the very end here's david with his men like and everyone's looking at david like wait a second he doesn't he doesn't fit in here who is this guy and david if you remember obviously you do killed goliath that was their hero he comes out this nine-foot, ten-foot-tall guy with six fingers on each hand and, and six toes on each foot. Uh, and, and he comes out, and David kills him with a, a sling and a stone. Amazing. David, you know, they wrote the song, Saul is slain his thousands, and David is ten thousands. David would never imagine, after he killed Goliath, if somebody said, hey, David, in a few years, in 10 years, you're going to be in line with the Philistines. You're going to go through this parade. He would have laughed. He might have done more than laugh. Like, no way. Are you kidding me? These are our enemies. These are God's enemies. But that's what a backslide will do. You let a little bit of leaven in your life. You start making decisions, doing things that you know are wrong. And pretty soon, you'll end up in a place you never thought you'd be, doing things you never thought you'd do. And that's where David is. He's in a very, very hard place. He's in 
a military parade for the Philistines when at one time he was at war with them. Shocking. That's what compromise does. You never thought you'd act like that or do those things again. We've all been there. I got saved in the summer of of 94, and I thought, I'll never turn back, Lord. I'll never. This is amazing. I took Bible classes. I was driving, taking Bible classes, witnessing to my friends, and then one day, I made a decision to go to a party. I thought, what could it hurt? These are my friends that I'm witnessing to, trying to share with. How can this hurt? They're asking me to go. And that began a a downward spiral for eight or nine months. That was very bad. David's here for 16 months doing things. He's in this parade. And it says this in verse 3, the princes of the Philistines says, what are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the princes of the Philistines, is this not David, the servant of King Saul of Israel? who has been with me these days or these years, and to this day I've found no fault in him since he defected to me. The Philistines are shocked that David's there. David's not shocked. Achish isn't shocked. He says, it seems like Saul, David's been with me forever. He's been months, actually years with me. Right? He just loves David. But they know something's wrong. The Philistines do. And that's the way it is with your life and mine. When we're living in sin, rebellion to the Lord, you know, sometimes there it is. Somebody will come along, a person, like, what are you doing here? I thought you were a Christian. Why are you in, in, you know, whatever you're doing, whatever location, whatever you're buying, whatever you're doing, people are like blown away. Wow, I thought you were a Christian. I thought you were saved. That's what people were asking me. Oh, Harley, I thought you were some Christian, this religious person. I was like, humiliated by what I was doing, but I couldn't stop. I didn't stop for a while. Sometimes people know better, and God sends people your way. You think, in the, you know, you think I'm safe. No one's going to say anything. No one will see me here, and there they are. And so all these Philistines are there like, what is he doing here? Why is he here? They know our behavior better than we do, and they're shocked. Like, what is David doing in this parade? Built in their conscience, too. And verse 4 says, But the princes of the Philistines were angry with him. And they said to him, Make this fellow return, that he may go back to the place which you have appointed for him. And don't let him go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he become our adversary. For with what could he reconcile himself to his master, if not with the heads of these men? They're questioning his motive. Like, wait a second, if David goes down into battle, what if he turns on us? Maybe that's how he's going to reconcile with Saul, kill a few more Philistines. And they're questioning his motives, and probably good, but there's no telling what David's going to do. Once you start crossing lines, once you start crossing lines, what ones are you, are you willing to stay back from? What lines are, are you willing to to cross and not cross, they're all blurred for David. He probably, I would guess, I would like to think David would would end up fighting against the Philistines somehow, but you never know. And if he had done that, he would have been unable to be the king if he had done that. 
They're wondering, what's he doing? They said, and here's that song again. It's a, it would be a mild rebuke for David to hear this song. Is not this David of whom they sang to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? That song's been getting David in trouble with lots of people. And here they say it to, to Achish, uh, listen, he can't go with us. And Achish, verse 6, called David and said to him, Surely as the Lord lives, you have been upright. And you're going out and you're coming in with me, and this army is good in my sight. For to this day I have not found evil in you since the day of your coming unto me. Nevertheless, the, Lord of the, the lords do not find favor in you. David has been so deceptive to Achish. Like, he's like, man, you've been so amazing. You've been so good. In my sight, everything that I've seen of you, well, Achish didn't see everything in David. And he's actually been very deceptive, what he was doing. He's out there deceiving, lying, killing, murdering, not keeping one witness alive. And Achish thinks that David is on his side. He's recruiting him. But he realizes these guys aren't going for it. And he says, verse 7, now return and go in peace that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. And David said to Achish, but what have I done? David needs an Academy Award here. Like, what have I done? And to this day, what have you found in your servant as long as I've been with you, that I might not go and fight against the enemies of my Lord, the King? David, what are you talking about? These are now Israel's your enemy? Like, sin messes people up. You can't, there's no telling what people do. Once you cross a line, once you decide to compromise, you're not seeing clearly. And David is so deceptive. And Achish answered and said to David, now Achish has to encourage David. He says, I know that you're as good in my sight as an angel of God. David, you're an angel. Nevertheless, the princes of the Philistines have said, he shall not go out with us to battle. Now therefore, rise up early in the morning with your master's servants who have come with you. And as soon as you're up early in the morning and have light, depart. So David and his men rose early in the morning to depart, to return to the land of the Philistines. And the Philistines went up to Jezreel. So David heads back south. to Ziklag. It's a 75-mile journey, and he's probably excited, probably thinking, okay, that worked out better than I thought. Maybe, hopefully, David's thinking that. I don't have to go to battle against Israel. I get to go home and see my wives. He's got a couple. Uh, My children. You know, I'm going home. And that can be exciting, right? If you've ever been away on a business trip, or or people, people are in the military, or if you've been on a you know, whatever, mission trip, uh, and you go home, that, the, the trip home is like exciting. You get to see your family, you're reunited, and that's, that's what David's thinking here. That's what the men are thinking. We're going to be reunited with our family. Uh, there's comfort there, security, and it says this in chapter 30, verse 1, it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag, that's the city he was given, 
on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south in Ziklag, and they attacked Ziklag, and they burned it with fire. That is not what David is expecting here. Ziklag has been attacked. The Amalekites uh, have raided the south. They know they're, they're very opportunistic, and they know that these guys are gone off into battle. And the Amalekites come and raid Ziklag, and they burn it with fire. The Amalekites, those are the guys that, that Saul was so, supposed to destroy. That God told Samuel, hey, go tell Saul to utterly destroy the Amalekites. It's a picture of our flesh, our human nature, the, the, our sin nature that wants to rise up. He says, go kill all the Amalekites, everything there. And you remember uh, Samuel comes to Saul and he sees Agag alive the best of the sheep, the oxen, all these people, because he doesn't do it. He, he saves them alive, and it comes back to bite Israel. It comes back to bite David, and it's going to come back to bite Saul, because at the end of the day, we'll look at it next week, it's an Amalekite that finishes Saul off. What he should have killed comes back to kill him, and that's what sin does. If you don't say, you know what, I'm, I'm done with that, crucifying my flesh, crucifying this old nature, it comes back and wants to crucify you. And, and that's exactly, and it's hard to explain that to your kids. It's hard to, you know, when the Bible says certain things, like, Lord, I don't see any problem with, you know, drinking or, or drugs or spending my money on that or doing this, whatever, whatever area of sin it might be, you know, talking to these women or talking to these men, whatever it is. We think, that, how can that hurt? What can, what's the problem? What's the big deal? But we don't know the full picture of what's going to happen to our life when we go down that road. And, and it's sometimes, you know, you have kids. My kids are that way. You try to explain something to them. And they're like, wait. And they want to question and question and question. You explain it all the way to the very end. You think, okay, they got it. They understand. I'm giving you the best explanation I can. And then they have a whole extra set of questions. Like, are you sure that that, like, yes, yeah, stop. You can't do that can't go there. You can't watch that. Or, but why? What's the harm? You know? and, and our kids you know, try to teach them. Sometimes we have to learn the hard way. And, and David and Saul are learning the hard way. And his city is burned. Amalekites came in to take him out. And it says, verse 2, and had taken captive the women and those who were with them from small to great. And they did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went on their way. And so David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire. And their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Like, everything's burned, everything they owned was gone. They took everything, and they took their family. They didn't kill anyone, right? That's, that's human trafficking. That was normal. They, they took these people as slaves and they were going to sell them. They were heading down to Egypt. They are heading further south to sell these people into slavery. And it says, David and the people who were with him, verse 4, lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. You ever, you ever cry like that? Like, Something is so overwhelms you, you just have 
you, you cry for so long. It seems like, is this ever going to shut off? And then all of a sudden you've cried so much, there's, there's no tears left. Like, I, could, I couldn't turn them on right now if I wanted to. And that's where these guys are. They're, they're weeping. And these are battle-hardened soldiers. These guys were killers. These guys had seen a lot. They had done a lot. They lived in the wilderness for years, being hunted by Saul. And they're crying, right? And, and some guys aren't that sensitive. Some guys are more sensitive uh, than others. Uh, and, and these guys are all weeping. The sensitive ones are weeping, and the, the guys that aren't as sensitive, they're weeping. They've lost everything. They've been running from Saul, hiding in Philistine territory. They're in a Philistine parade. Like, they're so confused. Finally, they're released, thinking, all right, we got out of this one. And they come home, and everything's gone, everything they owned. And they're, they're weeping. They're broken right? Psalm 56, verse 8, you guys know David said, Lord, you know my wanderings. You know everywhere I go. You know everything about me. And you actually catch my tears in a bottle, right? You, you, you understand all my, everything that I'm crying over, everything that, that makes me sad. You understand the inner workings of my life, and you, you know why I'm crying. Sometimes we don't even know. Like, what, what, why are you so emotional? What's going on? And, and God's right there collecting those tears because he knows what you're going through. Even our self-infliction, even stuff that we've done to harm ourselves, God's right there and he knows. Jesus wept over Jerusalem, we read. He weeps over the city. He knows, he's, he's, man, if you would have known this day that I would be here to rescue you, you're rejecting me. And that's what happens when we reject God, his word, his will, his way. God's not mad at David. He's sad. And now these guys are broken. They're sad. And God wants to correct David to bring him back. God chastens those he loves. So they're weeping. They had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, have been taken captive. It affects everyone. Your sin. David led these guys there. David led these guys into this country, thinking, you know what? We're going to be safe. And it affected everyone lost, even David. And it says, and David was greatly distressed. For the people spoke of stoning him. They never spoke of stoning him before this. Like every, every time he let Saul go when he had the opportunity to kill him, they were fine with that. You know, they questioned him, but they were fine with it. Now they understand, man, how, can I trust you, David? We're going to kill you now. Like imagine hearing that. We're going to kill this guy. These guys were tough. David was tough, but these guys were tough. And they outnumbered him 599 to 1. Uh, and and they, they spoke of stoning him because the soul of the people were grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughters. But David, it says, strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David is grieved. The people want to kill him. But that's the consequence of sin. We sow, we sow, we sow. 
And sometimes you think, you know, what's going to happen? It's okay. There's been no problem. That's the way Samson looked at his life. God had anointed Samson. Samson had great power. He had done great exploits for the kingdom of God. And yet he compromised and sinned and, and, and kept going and kept going. And Samson thought, man, I've done all these things wrong and I still have power. I still sense that God is with me. I can do whatever I want. So Samson kept going until one day his hair got cut. And they shackled him up and brought him to grind in the mill. And he lost it all. And sometimes sin, the consequence from sin, it doesn't come right away. And we keep going and keep going and you think, oh, it's all, man, I can do that. They're doing that or I've, there's been no consequence in my life. I can keep going. But when you sow, you don't reap till later, right? I, we talked about it last week. They, they plant in the, the spring and harvest in the fall. Well, sometimes that's the way sin is. You, you plant this year, but there, you don't reap until next year for two years. And it's bad. Galatians 6 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. So David here has had to learn to do something in the midst of this whole thing. You have compassion on David. You want to help. But he's learning a lesson. Sin is supposed to be painful. It's supposed to hurt. David said in Psalm 119, verse 67, he said, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept your word. Sometimes we learn through pain. That's our greatest teacher. We learn great lessons through pain. Jeremiah chapter 2, he says, Thy own wickedness shall correct thee, and thy backsliding shall reprove me. Just sometimes our own, the fruit of our own lives and what we're choosing and our choices, it hurts us when we're outside of God's will. And David's at rock bottom. But he strengthens himself in God. He's lost his country, his family, his friends, everything he owned, his army. Even Achish is, is, is gone now. The guy that he was deceiving. And he's in a position with one option. It's going to God himself. He can't go to Abigail. He can't go to Samuel. He can't go to anyone. Sometimes that's what God does. He puts you in a place and in a position where the only one you can talk to about what you're going through is him. He's the only one that understands. He knows what you're going through. He has compassion on you. Your spouse doesn't understand. A pastor doesn't understand. God's the only one, and that's what David has to learn to do, to strengthen himself in the Lord as God. He had to remind himself of the promises of God, who he was. That's what we have to do sometimes. Who are you in Christ? Who am I in Christ? What does he say about you? How can we repent? Is it possible to mess up and, and to come back to the Lord? Right. So David is encouraging himself. He's at ground zero, and he has to remind himself, who he is. Turn to Hebrews chapter 2 with me for a second. Chapter 12 with me for a second. <clears throat> I 
We've read this before, but it says this in Hebrews 12, verse 4. You've not resisted. He's talking about sin. You've not resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. And you've forgotten the exhortation which speaks to us as sons. My son, don't despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there, is there whom a father doesn't chasten? But if you're, you're without chastening, of which all have been be- become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few Days chastened us as it seemed best to them, but he for our profit, <clears throat> that we might be partakers of his holiness. And he says, no chastening seems to be joyful. It's not supposed to be. For the present, it's painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. There's training in pain and correction. And then he says this, and this is what David has to do. Therefore, strengthen the hands that hang down and the feeble knees and make straight the path of your feet so that which is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness. That's the life of the Christian without which no man, no one will see the Lord. That's your life. It's painful And at the end of it, the brokenness, the the failure in it, man, your hands hang down. Your knees are even weak. You don't have any strength. And finally, David is in this broken place of, Lord, I need your strength. I'm sick of doing life on my own. I'm sick of making my own decisions. I'm sick of making my own choices. If you remember, you know, David told himself, oh, man, Saul's going to kill me. There's nothing better for me than to flee to the land of the Philistines. And it wasn't true. But David comes to his senses. He encourages himself in the Lord as God. And he says to Abiathar the priest, verse 7, Ahimelech's son, bring the ephod here. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David is now not inquiring of himself or his feelings or his emotions. Now he's like, I'm going to ask God what his choice is. What do you have for my life, Lord? What direction should we go? What do we do? It probably encouraged the men, too, to see David. God, what's your will? I don't even trust myself. What's your will? David inquired of the Lord, verse 8, saying, Shall I pursue this troop, and shall I overtake them? And God answers him, Pursue, you shall surely overtake them, and without fail, you'll recover all. God doesn't leave David hanging. Saying, ah, you know what, David, you're going to have to suffer for a little while. Don't you realize what you've done? Look at who you've affected. Look at how many people. He doesn't say, listen, David, everyone's going to recover something, but you're going to really, you're not going to recover everything here. You're going to lose one of your wives, and, you know, guys are going to to suffer a lot of loss here. But no, God says, David, you can recover all. I'm with you now. That's what I wanted. I wanted you back by my side. I want to tell you, I want to direct your life, speak to your life. And so it would be encouraging for David and his men 
And David went, verse 9, and the 600 men who were with him, and they came to the brook Besor, where those stayed who were left behind. But David pursued, he and 400 men, for 200 stayed behind, who were so weary that they couldn't cross the brook. What? So they travel another 12 miles to the south, and they get there with 600 men, trying to get their stuff back, and 200 of the guys say, David, I can't even cross this brook. Can't go anymore. That's it. I'm, I'm, I'm done. Can't go any further. And, and they stay with the stuff, we'll find out. But they keep going. Verse 11, it says, but, And they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David, and they gave him bread, and he ate. And they let him drink water. And they gave him a piece of cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. So when he had eaten, his strength came back to him. And he had eaten no bread nor, nor drunk any water for three days or three nights. This is God's sovereignty. David doesn't know where he's going. He doesn't know where these guys are going. He's just heading south. He's just trying to find these men. But all of a sudden they see a guy who hasn't eaten. In three days, hadn't had anything to drink. The guy's half dead. And David sees him, and these guys have compassion on him. You know, how many of us would think, this guy's just going to slow us down? Maybe we'll come back, throw him something. That's fine. We're in a hurry. And how many of us in our life see people half dead, you know, and we don't have time to talk? We don't have time to encourage. We're, we're too busy. And David is going to take the time for this guy, and thank God he does, because this becomes David's GPS. This is his Google Maps, right? David doesn't know that at first. But this is God's divine, sovereign will that David would have compassion. And how many times do we go through hard things? Does it soften us in a way where we have compassion on other people, right? Jesus had compassion on the multitude, it says. That's your pain in his heart, and that's what David has now. He is so soft. He's broken over his family, the loss. His men want to kill him. He's in Philistine country. He doesn't know what to do. But he sees this guy. Man, let's help him. Right? How many people take the time to help other people? Normally we're too busy. Or we've got our own problems. Dude, you think you got it bad. Should walk in my shoes for a day or a week or a month. Right? Sometimes that can be our attitude. Man, when we're soft, we're broken, we're humble, we go through hard things, we can start, we start feeling other people's pain. And that's what David feels here. They gave him some food, they let him eat, and then David talks to him. He says, Who, to whom do you belong? He knows he's a slave. And where are you from? And he says, I'm a young man from Egypt, a servant of an Amalekite. I'm a slave. And my master left me behind because... Three days ago, I fell sick. Zero compassion from Amalekites, right? None. They don't care. I fell sick. And then he goes on to tell them, we made an invasion of the southern area of the Cherethites in the territory that belongs to Judah and of the southern area of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. What? What happened? What did you do? You burned Ziklag. 
And when they had brought him down, verse, verse 15, David said to him, Can you take me down to this troop? And he said, Swear to me by God that you will neither kill me nor deliver me to, to the hands of my master, and I'll take you down to this troop. So he's going to lead them exactly where they are. David's compassion paid off. And when he had brought him down, there they were, spread out over all the land, eating, drinking, dancing, because of all the great spoil which they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. Right? They had no idea that David would be back there. And it says, David attacked them from twilight until evening of the next day, and not a man of them escaped except for 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. So 400 of them escaped. And that's the reality. You know, uh, God told Moses in Exodus that from generation to generation, you're going to have war with, with the Amalekites. From genera- with your flesh, from every generation, you're going to battle that. That's why Jesus said your flesh needs to be crucified. Turn to Luke chapter 10 with me for a second. Remember, they asked Jesus a question. A lawyer stands up and says, what do I do to inherit eternal life? Verse 25 of Luke chapter 10. Jesus says, how do you read it? And he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, your strength, and your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you've answered rightly. Do this, and you'll live. And the guy wanted to justify himself. Verse 30, he says, who's my neighbor? And Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing Wounded him and he departed, leaving him half dead. And by just by chance, a priest came down. When he saw me pass by on the other side, and a Levite, and he arrived at that place, and he came and looked, and he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, these guys that were hated by the Jews, as he journeyed, he came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. The Samaritan was hated by the Jews. But he sees a guy half dead and he says, you know what, I've, I've been there. I've felt like that before. And he has compassion on him. And he went, in, un, went into him and he bandaged his wounds and he poured oil and wine and he set him on his own animal and brought him into the inn and he took care of him. And on the next day when he departed, he took two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I come again, I'll repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. Very important that we have compassion on people, that we put ourselves in their shoes. And sometimes, you know, we think, and it's true that we're supposed to be that Samaritan, right, that goes and helps people, and we are. But we're also supposed to be that innkeeper. Jesus brings people into our life to help. And he gives us, hey, help this guy. Here's two denarii. Here's a little bit of money. Here's a little bit of time invested in this person. 
And, and he says, when I come back, I'll repay you. Some of the things we do in this life for people, we're not going to get repaid in this life. It's, it's in heaven. And David sees this young man, and he's able to go and find his wife, his children, his, the, the, his family of all his men, and rescue them. Because why? David has compassion. And it's important for us. We want to be like the Lord to have compassion. And David rescues these guys. And it says in, back in verse 18, And David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away. And he rescued his two wives. Everything God told him, he says, You're going to get all, David. And that's exactly what God did. He gave them all back. And nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything which they had taken for them from them. David recovered all of it, just as God had told him. And David took all the flocks and herds which they had driven before those other livestock and said, this is David's spoil. And David came to the 200 men. So he comes back to the guys that were left at the brook who had been so weary that they couldn't follow David, whom they also made to stay at the brook Besor. So they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near the people, David greeted them. Hey, how are you guys doing? Are you guys refreshed? Are you encouraged? Right? David didn't mock them and say, ah, you, you know, we didn't need you. And all the wicked, worthless men of those who went with David answered and said, because they didn't go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered except for every man's wife and children that they might lead them away and depart. We don't want them around here anymore. Just take your wife and your children and go. But David says, my brethren, you shall not do so with what the Lord has given us, who has preserved us and delivered us Delivered into our hands the troop that has come against us. For who will heed you in this matter? But as the part that goes down to battle, so is the part, his part B, who stays by the supplies. They're alike. So it was from that day forward that they made a statute and an ordinance for Israel to this day. So David made a law once he became king that, listen, people are going to stay back with the stuff, guard the stuff, their reward is the same as the people that go into battle. And that's the way it'll be in God's kingdom too. Some people will go out and do things, become missionaries, do all these different things, and then some people will support those missionaries and give money and, and, and whatever, supplies, and go and help when they can. And, and if you're praying for a missionary or, praying or, or supporting one, listen, your reward is going to be the same. It's going to be exactly the same. And when David came to Ziklag, he sent some of the spoil to the elders of Judah and to, his, and, and to his friends, saying, Here is a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. To those who are in Bethel and to those who are in Ramoth of the south and those who are in Jatir and those who are in Eror and those who are in Shipmoth and those who are in Estoma and those who are in Rachel and, and the cities of the Jerilmalites. Jer and the Kenites, and Horma and Chor Chorazan, and those who are in Attack, whatever that is, and those who are in Hebron, and to all the places where David himself and his men were accustomed to rove. So David, all those places were da places David stopped. And he says, listen, I want to repay you guys. I'm going to give you guys uh, 
money and supplies for everything you've done for me. David's saying, listen, I'm back. I'm back. And David gives these guys supplies from the battle. And David is, is going to end his time there in Ziklag. Because it's over. He's learned his lesson. And, and, and sometimes we don't leave where we're at until we learn our lesson. That, that sin has so hurt us and, and wounded us that, that, that we don't leave. And David is at that place and he's so thankful God has helped him recover everything. Sometimes we're tempted like David to go back into the world thinking, you know, it's easier there. It's better. It's kind of, you know, things aren't as tough. It's not true. But once we suffer a little bit, we come back. And I've done that, and I'm sure people have done that here. And it doesn't mean God doesn't love you. He's not, doesn't mean he's not with you in, in, in those times. So next week, we're gonna, it'll be our last week in Samuel. We're going to take a look at Saul's life, the end of Saul's life, and kind of the beginning of, of David. And uh, it'll be the end of, of 1 Samuel for us. So, Lord, we're thankful, God, for your word, for the truth of it. Lord, how we can apply it to our lives. Uh, thank you for, for the life of David, a guy who made plenty of mistakes, uh, but he was a man after your own heart. He was a man that was willing to repent and change. He was by far not perfect. He did many things that we scratch our heads, uh, but he's such an example of us uh, that we're able to do the same thing make mistakes and have flaws and failures, and yet we're able to come back and get restored and encouraged. And, and you want to restore all to our lives, Lord, and, and we're thankful for that. So just give your lives. Thank you for your word and the truth of it, Jesus, in your name. Amen.